First Corinthians chapter four, verse one, it says, let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, verse two, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, verse 4, for I know of nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this, but he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will, be, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsel of the hearts. Then each one's praise will come from God. Now these things, verse 6. Brethren, I have figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sakes, that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one against the other. Verse 7, for who makes you different, differ from another? And what, make, and what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? Verse 8, you are already full. You are already rich. You have reigned as kings without us. I, and indeed, I could wish you did reign, that we also might reign with you. For I think that God has displayed us, the apostles, last, as men condemned to death. For we have been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We are fools, verse 10, for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are dishonored. Verse 11, to the present hour we both hunger and thirst, and we are poorly clothed and beaten and homeless. And we labor, working with our own hands, being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we endure. Being defamed, we entreat. We have been made as the filth of the world, the offscoring of the things until Now, verse 14, I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you. For though you may have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you, imitate me. For this reason, verse 17, I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved, faithful son in the Lord who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. Verse 18. Now some are puffed up as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you shortly if the Lord's wills, if the Lord wills. And I will know not the word of those who are puffed up, but of the power. Verse 20. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. What do you want? Shall I come to you? with a rod or in love and a spirit of gentleness. Father God, again, we come before you, Lord, and as we just study your word right now, I ask that these words would just resound in our hearts, Father God, that you would use them in our lives in a mighty way. Father God, that you would speak to us in our own personal way. Father God, that we would leave here refreshed, Father God, ready to serve you. And Lord, I pray that you would just pour your Holy Spirit on us right now in Jesus' name. Amen. So, the church of Corinth at this time, this was, this was biblical day Vegas, Las Vegas. These, 
This place was home to many different cultures and religions and peoples. It was a big port city. So we had ships coming from all over the world, trading goods and, and, and so many other things. And the church of Corinth at this time was very corrupt. They had a lot of issues going on. A lot of pride issues. Fleshly desires, questions, whys. And so Paul is writing this chapter to help this church realize where they need to be at. So we see in verse 1, he says, Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Verse 2, For moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. I want to focus on that first part of verse 1. It says, let a man so consider us. Paul is asking the church that he and other apostles in this world during this time be regarded as servants. See, see, Paul had a real problem with the Corinthians at the time. They tended to look down on him and apostles and those in leadership, and not respect authority that God has rightfully bestowed upon them. And so Paul is going to speak to them about how to think of apostles in a manner that is not disrespectful, but also that is not glorifying them as well. And the same thing should be true of how we as Christians, as we as the church, should think of leadership also we need to remember that yes there are leaders in the church there are pastors and they do have authority that god has given them 100 percent. but they are also called to be the greatest of servants in the church are we not my dad he at the time he was the he was an assistant he still is an assistant pastor but he was the children's pastor a leader in the church and I remember he would go in on the weekends still. He would scrub toilets, he'd mop floors, take out trash. A man who, who many looked up to as a leader, and yet he still, he wasn't good enough, or he, was, he wasn't too good to, to serve. You know, me as an assistant pastor, as a youth pastor, I'm still called to, you know, go straighten out chairs, you know, hey, go vacuum that. Yes, we are leaders, but we are also called to serve, more importantly. And that is how Paul is wanting the church of Corinth to see those in leadership, to see the apostles, to see him as leaders, but as servants also. But not just servants. He says, continuing on, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. So it's not just enough to be a servant. But Paul is asking to be considered as a steward. 
during this time in relation to, to, to servanthood, a steward was, was still technically considered a slave. But in relation to other slaves, a steward is basically the, the, the master or the leader of the slaves. Here, here's a good definition, a good, a good uh, visual of what a steward did during this time. So the steward was a master's deputy in regulating the concerns of family issues, providing food for the household, seeing it served out at proper times and seasons and in proper quantities. He received all the cash, expended what was necessary for the support of the family, and kept exact accounts for which he was obliged at certain times to lay before the master. So, us as stewards, we have a master, right? Our Lord and Savior, our God. And God calls those who are servants of him to be leaders also, to be stewards, right? We have pastors, assistant pastors, ministry leaders who are called to watch over the church here in this world. But to also be a servant to God, a steward. Someone who is under the head of the household, who is who's under the head of the church, yet is still trusted to keep order and safety of the master's household, of the master's church. So just as we see that we are to be servants, we are to be stewards also. That's not it. There's more that God asks of us. We see in verse 2, it says, Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. Faithfulness. So let's just say hypothetically, you own this humongous property. You're always out and about. You're traveling. You're never really there, but you need to make sure your house is taken care of. You need to make sure your finances are in order. Someone's taking care of the landscaping and cleaning inside. Bills are being paid. House is being cleaned, so on and so forth. Who are you going to trust to do that? You're not just going to go in, in, in the streets and just, you know, any of them know, hey, you, you know, come, come take care of my, you know, huge property for me. You don't know them. You don't know if they're going to be faithful to you. You don't know if you're going to even have have furniture or TVs or anything in the house when you you come back. You're going to find someone that you trust, someone that you know, someone who's faithful to you, right? Here's a definition of faithfulness. It says, steadfast in affection or allegiance, loyal, firm in adherence to promises or in observance of duty, true to the facts, to a standard, or to an original. Can we say that about ourselves? Can we say that we are steadfast in affection or allegiance? Can we say that we're loyal? One thing I like to to do, I don't like to do it because it's embarrassing because I know that I cannot stay true to this, but 
I always say, you know, is JJ steadfast in affection? Is JJ loyal? Is JJ true, true to the facts? No, I'm not, unfortunately. We all aren't. Praise the Lord that he's washed our sin, that we are made new in him. We need to remain faithful to the Lord because he remains faithful to us every single day. And so Paul's explaining to us here what a steward should be. And that's how leaders and pastors, servants are to be. You think about it during this time, so much pride going through the church of Corinth at the time. So much pride still now in this day and age. It just hits home when you read those two verses. Paul's not done yet, so we're going to continue here. Verses 3 through 5 says, But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or even by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, verse 4, for I know of nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this, but he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will, bring both, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart. Then each one's praise will come from God. See, Paul this time, like I said, he's being looked down on, shamed by this church. So Paul starts in verse 3, he says, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you. Paul is insisting, he is making it very clear that the church's outlook of him mattered very little. Water off a duck's back. He says, it is what God judges is how God sees me that is important. It says, he who judges me is the Lord. You know, and, and can or should us as Christians have that same attitude? You know, should, should we have little or no regard for what other Christians think about us? You know, just say, you know, oh, only God can judge me. He who judges me is the Lord. 100% it is true that God is the only one who is righteous enough to judge us. But even God can use each other to correct each other, correct? Right? To rebuke each other, to correct behavior. It is good that we do that as brothers, as friends in Christ. That when we are being led astray by the enemy, that we have friends, that we have brothers and sisters in Christ say, hey man, you're messing up. What are you doing? God can use a donkey. He can definitely use us. (laughs) And then he goes on, he says, and in fact, I do not even judge myself. Even our estimation, you guys, of ourselves 
is 99.9%, actually I should say, it's 100% wrong all the time. We are always too easy or too hard on ourselves. And Paul is recognizing this. And because he recognizes this, he will not even judge himself. It's not, it's not fair. It's not righteous. Because it will never be a pure judgment. Again, he says, He who judges me is the Lord. God is the only one who will ever be pure enough, who will ever be perfect enough, who will ever be righteous enough to justly judge us. Verse 4, he says, For I know of nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this, but he who judges me is the Lord. Paul knows he's not innocent. Just because his conscience was clear, just because, oh, you know, I haven't done that specific sin in a while, so I'm good. Paul knew that his righteousness did not come from his own works, did not come from his own clean conscience, that it came from Jesus. You know, a lot of times, we can become very self-righteous, you know, thinking that we do things so well, that we do things so much better than the others. Why are we comparing ourselves to other people who mess up just as much as we do? We're so quick to point the finger. And yet, when we mess up, oh, well, there's a just excuse for that. There's a reason why I did that. We want to blame something else. Oh, well, so-and-so did it. Oh, well, I just, you know, about this, about that. But we need to remember that every good and perfect thing does not come from us. It comes from our Lord and Savior. We are born naturally evil and wicked in our hearts. I was at, I was at dinner at my in-laws last night. And I, we have a little niece, and she's she just turned a year this last month. You know, she's so cute. She's so, she smiles so much, and she's just such a, she, she's adorable. And there was another, we, there was another family there, you know, with, with us for dinner as well. And they also have a little one who's, I think she's 10, 11 months, super pretty. And she grabbed my niece's cup. And my niece wasn't having that. Oh, no, no, no. She walked right over there, or should I say, more like stumbled over there. She ripped that cup right out of that other little girl's hand. And gosh, I, it just reminded me, we are just, it's just born in us. We are so wicked and evil in our hearts. And we need to remember that our goodness comes from the Lord and only the Lord. Not even from Paul, Apollos, from Jesus Christ, from our Lord and Savior. 
In verse 5, it says, Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart. Then each one's praise will come from God. You guys, we get so caught up in looking at others and seeing what everyone else is doing wrong. But then completely ignore the wrongs that we do. Turn to Matthew chapter 7, verse 5, really quick for me. Matthew chapter 7, verse 5. It says this in Matthew chapter 7, verse 5. It says, Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. I'm going to read that one more time. Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. This is such a perfect analogy for us as sinners. That we can literally have a plank in our own eye, but we'll look right past that just to see a tiny little dot on somebody else to make ourselves feel better because we know who we are and what we do. We always want to judge everyone else by their actions, but we want to judge ourselves by our intentions, right? Oh, I, I, I was planning on doing that, but did you do it? Well, I didn't intend to do that, but you did. We need to acknowledge, we need to acknowledge ourselves as sinners, you guys, before we can go and point someone else's flaws out. Literally that first word with an exclamation point right next to it. Hypocrite. There's a lot of hypocrites in this church at the time. Sure, there's a lot of hypocrites here right now. You're looking at one. Thank God that he is just, though. He says, in verse 5, he says, who will, bring, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of men's hearts. Guys, when Jesus judges, it will be according to not just the outward, but the inward. This is another huge flaw of human judgment, right? Because we only see what happens outwardly, outwardly. We don't see the heart issues. Let's be honest, any issue that we have, it's a heart issue. It's not a pride issue. It's a heart issue. And this is why Paul is feeling free to disregard, to ignore the harsh, the harsh judgments of, of the Corinth Christians towards him. 
Because he knows it's not real, it's not just. It's flawed. Then he says, then each one's praise will come from God. Paul knew he had little praise from the Corinth Christians. Did that matter to him, though? Nah. Should that matter to us? Heck no. There is a day coming, you guys. And I think it's very soon. When our Lord is going to come and judge. There's a day when our praise is going to come from God, not from man. Again, our salvation doesn't come from, from man. It comes from God. Verse 6 says, Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sakes, that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one against another. So in those first five verses, Paul is speaking figuratively. He would write a story so that, that, that the Christians during this time would see a more proper way to see the apostles. Paul's hope in his writing is that it will help the Corinth Christians to, to, to learn to keep their thinking Christ-centered. Not to use standards built by man. We have standards that are beyond that. The word of God. You know, many people today, so many people, they judge, they evaluate pastors and ministers on, you know, how big their congregation is. You know, we, me and Pastor Mike usually go to a, a conference, a pastor's conference every year in Stone Mountain, Georgia. And what is the one, you guys take a while, I guess, I'm sure most of you guys will get it. What is one of the first questions that someone will ask you as a pastor? Well, how many people are in your church? How many people you got in the church? Why does that matter? Well, how many books have you written? Or do you write, do you write a comment? Do you have commentaries that you write? Do you have your own show on TV? Do you have your own podcast? There are so many unbiblical standards that people look for when they look for a, a church or a pastor. Oh, I, I like how funny he is. His, his entertainment value. You know, his, his appearance. It's true. But we need to think beyond that. And he says, you guys, that, that none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one against the other. When we use unbiblical standards to judge, 
They could easily like one and, and, and simply just hate the other one. Well, this pastor is way better than this pastor, so. Based on what? Because he speaks better, he has a nicer voice. Because he's taller. Because his church is bigger. Verse 7. For who makes you defer from one another? And what do you have that you did not receive? Now if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? Like I was saying, there's a lot of pride, a lot of puffed upness, if that's even a word, in, in the state of this church at the time. And the pride was very evident with all the cliques that was going around, different apo- with different po- apostles. And Paul's addressing their pride with these three questions. And I think we need to ask ourselves these three questions when we, when we catch ourselves. It says, for what makes you defer from one another? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? Meaning, do we truly give God the credit for our salvation? Do we live with the spirit of humble gratitude, you guys? And then seeing that you have received that from God, what can we give back to him, you guys? There is no difference in myself and you guys and Pastor Mike, Chuck Smith, whoever it may be, we are all fallen short of the glory of God. We are all sinners. And again, Paul is stating here, what do you have that you did not receive? What do we have besides wickedness and evilness that was not given to us? Again, every good and perfect thing comes from above. And Paul is trying to get these, get this point through their thick skulls. That there is nothing special about us. But when we receive Jesus Christ, that's when we are made new. That's when we are a new creation. Are perfect. Verse 8 says, you are already full. You're already rich. You have reigned as kings without us. And indeed, I could wish you did reign, that we might also reign with you. For I think that God has displayed us as the apostles last, as men condemned to death. For we have been made a spectacle to the world, both to the angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake. But you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. 
You are distinguished, but we are dishonored. To the present hour, we both hunger and thirst, and we are poorly clothed and beaten and homeless. In case you didn't realize here, Paul's being a little sarcastic with these guys right now. He's like, my, you, you Corinthians, just, you just seem to have it all, don't you? You guys have it all together. You guys got five-year plans. You guys have success and wealth. Isn't it, isn't it so funny that we apostles are just dirt, that we have nothing? He said here in verse 10, he says, We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ, right? We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are dishonored. He says in verse 11, he says, We are poorly clothed and beaten and homeless. Yes, he's being sarcastic. But he, his purpose in this context is not to make fun of them, to not to spite them, to start something. Again, he's wanting to shake them out of their proudness, out of their self-willed thinking. We need to have humility for Christ, you guys. We as Christians shouldn't be looking for praise or for glory. We shouldn't be looking for success in the world standard. It's hilarious. Growing up, I, I had a friend um, who I played baseball with a lot. And his dad found out that my dad was an assistant pastor. And I kid you not, and I was right there next to my dad. So this guy comes up to my dad, and he says, I hear you're a pastor. And I was like, yeah. So, oh, cool, yeah. What, what kind of car do you drive, like a Beamer or a, an Infiniti? Or? My dad looks at me, and he's like, I drive a 98 Dodge Ram. I'm like, what, what are you talking about? So often in this world, you guys, it's sad that that, picture was painted in that guy's head that that's how pastors are that's how a christian is you know when they're successful you know they have a a nice car big home when in reality we should be humble that we shouldn't be looking for glory in this world the success that this world claims to be Church can be so heavy with that attitude that we are so concerned with the image of worldly success and power. And during this time, this is what the church of Corinth was stuck on, you guys. And it's why they despised Paul so much. Believe me when I say there is no shortage of pastors and ministers or so-called pastors and ministers who just want to display the image of worldly success and power. And there's no shortage of so-called Christians who only value that in their pastor. This world brings destruction and chaos, you guys. Only Jesus Christ can give us the, the peace and the comfort and the fullness that we are looking for. 
in verse 12 and 13. It says, And we labor working with our own hands, being reviled we bless, being persecuted we endure, being defamed we entreat. We have been made as the filth of the world, the offscoring of all things until now. The Corinthians at this time, they loved Greek teaching, Greek wisdom, so to speak. And one thing that they really embraced during this time was the idea that that manual labor was fit for only slaves. That if you worked manual labor, you were the scum of the earth, that you were the lowest of the low. And to them, it was offensive that one of God's so-called apostles would, would actually do work with his own hands. Again, so much pride, so much down, looking down on, on, on Paul, on those in leadership who truly serve God. But then Paul, he's like, all right, enough spanking you guys. Let me give you guys some encouragement. So we see here in verses 14 through 21, he says, I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you. For though you may have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Therefore, verse 16, I urge you, Imitate me. I'm going to stop right there. So Paul's putting away the wooden spoon now. Now he's coming to them as, as a father figure. You know, you read this, you know, and you get the idea. Me, personally, I, I just see him going around the church, you know, pointing at fingers, you know, you suck, and you suck, and oh, you're the worst, and oh my gosh, why are you even here? But that's not what he's doing. He's coming at them with a parental love. For those of you who are parents, Lord willing, one day I hope to be one. But for those of you who are parents, when you discipline your kids, you don't do it with the intention of hurting them, right? Or embarrassing them. You do it out of love because you care for them, because you don't want them to make the same mistake again, because you don't want them to make the same mistake that you once did when you were younger. Paul knew those mistakes. Remember who he was before he was Paul. Saul of Tarsus. Christians literally feared him. His name was infamous. And yet, here he is, redeemed by God, coming to this church in the same way that God has come to him, with a fatherly, with a parental love. So he finishes here in verse 16. He says, therefore, I urge you, imitate 
me. Paul gives them a way, a solution on how they can learn and how they can act. Imitate me. Don't don't get this text twisted, you guys. Paul is not saying, you know, I, I am the, the God figure. You guys should, to, should follow me, do exactly what I do, say exactly what I say. It's not what he's saying at all. Paul is giving them, in a way, a template for what they could do, how they should act. And I got to give Paul a lot of kudos because at this time, you think about it, what we've been talking about, that this church absolutely despised Paul. They could not stand him. So for Paul to literally say, hey, follow me, imitate me. Paul, are you serious? You want, you want us to do what you do, to act like you act? I can just imagine the laughter, the, the scoffs that this church gave Paul. But yet Paul is still loving on them, trying to correct them. It says here in verse 17, it says, For this reason I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. So Paul sending Timothy for correction, right? Verse 18, he says, Now some are puffed up as though I were not coming to you. Oh yeah, Paul's a big old man, tough man. You can write a letter, right? It's easy to, to text someone, right, to confront them or to write them a letter. It's another thing to come in person and say it to my face, right, Paul? Then he says in verse 19, but I will come to you shortly. The Lord's will, the Lord wills. And I will know not the word of those who are puffed up. I don't care about what you guys say. But the power that you have in Jesus Christ. This is the power. Verse 20. For the kingdom of God is not in the word, but in power. Verse 21. What do you want? Shall I come to you with a rod or in love and a spirit of gentleness? This church had that outlook, you guys. Paul's, Paul's such a wuss. Can't come us come to us in person. He's gonna write us a letter, really. Oh, Paul's not good enough. He doesn't have a reason to show his face here. And I just fed the fire of that pride that this church has. But I love, I love how Paul finishes it in verse twenty-one. He says, "What do you want? Shall I come to you with a rod?" or in love and a spirit of gentleness. He just says it. He just puts it out there. How do you want it? He says, you want the wooden spoon again? You want the rod? A rod in this time, you guys, it was used by shepherds. They'd use it to herd sheep. 
And when sheep would get out of line, straight away, they would smack them with it. Get them back in line. And a lot of times, you know, we tend to fall astray. Sometimes we need to get smacked by the Lord, right? In order for us to realize how far off we have gone astray. But thank the Lord that he is the perfect father, right? That we have a father who loves and cares for us enough to know that when we are doing something wrong, you guys, that he leads us back with love. That when we run away like that prodigal son, that our father is running down that road to meet us back when he sees us. A father who delivered us from sin and from death and leads us every day into light and righteousness, you guys. That is a father that we have. That is a father that we serve. And by no means is it easy. By no means is it even fun. Let's be honest, sometimes it is really, really hard to follow Jesus. But God remains faithful day in and day out. Paul is remaining faithful to this church, trying to correct them. But thank the Lord, praise him that he's there to smack us when we're out of line and that he loves us and that he embraces us. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you and we thank you. Lord, we praise you, we honor you, we worship you because you are so worthy because you love us with an everlasting love, Father God, that you love us wholeheartedly, that no matter how many times we run or spit on you or blaspheme your name, Lord, you are there to pull us back in, to say you're mine. Lord, and we proclaim that, Lord, we proclaim that we are yours, that you would continue to use us in a mighty way, Father God, There's so much darkness and evil, corruption and chaos out there, Lord. We pray that you would use us as an example of who you are, of power and love and mercy and justice. May you continue to lead lead us and direct us in your name. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God's got to bless you guys. I hope you guys have a great rest of your Sunday. If you need prayer, I will be up here. Talk to Mike, talk to Kevin, Reggie. We're all here to serve you guys. God bless. Have a great day.